This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. The notion that you should retire at 66 is an anachronism. I mean, it was dreamt up by Bismarck in the 1870s in Germany. I mean, it has nothing to do with the present day. That's journalist and best-selling author Malcolm Gladwell. I'll have his take on the great retirement debate and whether we're heading towards a war between the generations. The place just reeks of history, and all of this is going to be absolutely torn down. Dale Goldhawk of Goldhawk Fights Back here on the new AM740 joins us to talk about his latest battle to save the history of some of our greatest battles at the Canadian Air and Space Museum in Downsview Park. Then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. And there was sad news earlier this week when the Monkees frontman Davy Jones passed away from a heart attack at the age of just 66. On today's episode, we'll remember him and hear some of the music that made me and millions of other little girls fall in love with him. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Forbes magazine has created a list of the 50 most powerful Asian businesswomen, and not surprisingly, most of them are Zoomers. Only four are under the age of 45. The rest are part of the baby boom generation. This mirrors a global trend as the average age of a CEO around the world is in the low to mid-50s. Women on the list include Chung Yang, the founding chairman of Nine Dragons Paper. She was once named the richest woman in China with over $900 million U.S. to her name. Chandra Kochar is the CEO of the ICICI Bank, the largest private bank in India. And the oldest person on the list is 77-year-old Yoshiko Sinohara, who launched the Hong Kong-based temporary job agency, Tempstaff. New York is set to open America's first center designed for gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered Zoomers. Older LGBTs often feel isolated or face discrimination at other centers. Mayor Michael Bloomberg says it's time to change the one-size-fits-all approach to such centers. The facility is set to open in Manhattan's Chelsea neighborhood in January of 2013. There's a surprising new study about who gets the best night's sleep. It turns out that people in their 80s enjoy better quality sleep and that aside from a blip in our 40s, sleep quality actually improves with age. The research, conducted by the Center for Sleep and Circadian Neurobiology at the University of Pennsylvania, focused on asking large numbers of randomly selected people about their sleep. They found that complaints about poor sleep fell as age rose, with the lowest number of complaints coming from people over 70. The only exception to this trend was middle age, where sleep quality was poorer. The researchers say that even if older people do get worse sleep, they still feel better rested after the sleep they get. 
work all night and I drink a rum. And finally, the king of Calypso, music icon and activist Harry Belafonte, turned 85 this week. Belafonte is famous for his Banana Boat song and other popular recordings, but he's also known for being very active in humanitarian causes. He was a confidant of Martin Luther King Jr. and provided lots of financial support for the civil rights movement. He's also a goodwill ambassador for UNICEF and is well known for his support of awareness for HIV-AIDS in Africa. He was also an early advocate for prostate cancer screening after he beat the disease in 1996. Happy birthday, Mr. Belafonte. Those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. I'm Libby Zneimer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. He's famous for making the tipping point part of our lexicon. Best-selling author and thinker Malcolm Gladwell is famous for coming up with big ideas to explain complicated social science theories. He's an expat Canadian, and he'll be back here next week to collect the University of the West Indies Luminary Award. I reached him in New York to talk about the big ideas and events that will affect us all this year. You were talking about the Arab Spring and the European debt crisis as the most significant things that were going on. We're, we're only two months into 2012, but uh, do you think that those events are still having a big impact on what's happening now? Yeah, I mean, the, um, what's going on right now in Syria is obviously, I think, the most kind of significant international question, that that region is in such extraordinary turmoil, and that's one of the last big dominoes. So, you know, there, there's no question that this tide... Uh, that's been rolling through the Middle East is not finished. The debt crisis is continuing proof that we're not out of the woods in terms of the of the economic turmoil of the last five, six years. It's a good time to be Canadian, I think. <laughs> yes, it does seem to be. Moving to the United States where you are, there, there's a lot going on there. Uh, you were saying that it was hard to know what the Occupy movement exactly was. There seems to be more of a pitting of the poor against the rich in, in your politics. How do you see that playing out? Well, I think what we're now seeing is what Occupy was all about. What Occupy did brilliantly, I think, was to bring the issue of income inequality to the center of the national political conversation. And to the extent that that was their goal, they succeeded, I think, brilliantly. For the first time in a long time, Americans are confronting the fact that they live in one of the most economically unequal societies on earth, right? And that America is now has greater amount of economic inequality than at almost any time in its history. Uh, that, by some magical and unbelievable and incredible reason, has not been on the political agenda for the last 20 years. It now is, and I think it's um, high time. And Americans are getting over their kind of weird discomfiture with talking about these issues. Well, isn't it that Americans sort of see that if, if they're not rich, they will be? There's that, that people who are not rich are defiantly, and I think in some sense wonderfully aspirational. They think, yeah, they think they're going to be rich down the line. But it's also people are clinging to this completely outmoded mythology about America as the land of equality. That's one of the founding myths of American life, and very hard for people to kind of accept the fact that it is at odds with the contemporary realities of, American, of the American economy. 
Now, some people sort of play it out as rich against poor, uh, but one of the themes that I see emerging, a lot of people see a kind of war between the generations, you know, with the baby boomers, us, hogging everything, and uh, the young people disadvantaged. What do you think of that idea? In Western countries, not only is the older generation larger than other generations, so it has more political clout, it's also wealthier. That generation was fortunate enough to come of age at a time when Western economies were incredibly successful and dominant. And they also engineered a political system that's very generous towards them. Um, so as a result, they do have a kind of large share of the pie. So I think, you know, anytime you have a discussion about income inequality, you are also going to run up against generational issues. But I don't think, you know, people say that like that's some sort of ominous, grim thing. It's not. It just means that we have to be honest about the extent to which opportunities are are distributed unequally across all members of our society. And we can have that kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. So you don't see this kind of us-against-them thing shaping up? No, it doesn't have to be that way. That's the danger. I think Western societies have weathered much more serious storms in the past, um, much more ably. I mean, the kind of crisis that Canada and the United States went through in the 1930s dwarfs what we're facing now. I mean, what happened? We were fine, you know? Canada didn't erupt in some kind of revolution. You know, so you can point to other moments in the history of the West where there was much greater peril. But the great thing about democracies is that they are incredibly robust, right? They have a built-in capacity to, I think, deal intelligently with these kinds of crises. Do you see an end to certain entitlements, both here in Canada and in Europe, for older people, say? Do you see that happening? No, the issue has never been an end. The issue is, are there uh, intelligent ways to trim the growth in expenditures? The economics of these old age entitlements, they're not impossible. They're just out of whack at the moment. If there was an attempt in both Canada or the United States to very slowly and carefully raise the retirement age over the course of the next 25 or 30 years, you would find that the crisis in old age pensions would ease, if not go away. You could make very small tweaks, what seem like small tweaks, in the structure of these programs that make their economics much more favorable. You know, because remember, the retirement age in Canada and United States was set at a time when people's life expectancies and people's overall level of health were much inferior to what they are now. The notion that you should retire at 66 is an anachronism. I mean, it was dreamt up by Bismarck in the 1870s in Germany. I mean, it has nothing to do with the present day. I don't think it would be a crime if when my generation retires 25 years from now, we're expected to retire at 67 or 68 or 69. Okay, now you alluded. Canada's a great place to be now. Are we coming into our own? I would say Canada's been in its own for quite some time. As someone who comes back to Canada four or five times a year and sort of sees it with fresh eyes, just the changes it's undergone in the last 25 years um, are so extraordinary and wonderful. There's no question it's become one of the great countries of the world. Is it because we're so multicultural? Well, there's many reasons. I wonder, actually, you know, in comparing Canada to the United States, there is something to be said for scale. Small countries are just so much more manageable than large ones. So many of America's problems are simply due to the... It's such a vast place. I mean, it, it's got so much going on and so hard to forge consensus in a country of this size, just as it's so hard to forge consensus in the European Union, right? I mean, 
Exactly. Whereas when you're a country that's one-tenth the size, maybe that makes navigating all of the complex problems of the modern economy a lot easier. Hmm, that's an interesting thought. Malcolm Gladwell, it's a big pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. In just a moment, I'll be joined by Dale Goldhawk of Goldhawk Fights Back. He's part of a campaign to save the Canadian Air and Space Museum, home of the Avro Arrow. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. The Canadian Air and Space Museum in Downsview Park is home to some very important pieces of Canadian history. Everything from World War II fighter planes to a full-size replica of the Avro Arrow. On September 20th, 2011, the museum got an eviction notice from its landlord, the Crown Corporation, Park Downsview Park. Since that day, our own Dale Goldhawk has been fighting back against the eviction, trying to save this important part of our heritage. With the eviction set for the end of the month, the campaign is heating up, and I sat down with Dale to get the full story. Dale, it's March, and this is basically the last chance we have to save the Canadian Air and Space Museum. Tell us about that, please. Well, it's come down to this. Uh, Six months ago, the uh, eviction order was issued by a Crown Corporation called Park Downsview Park about this absolute treasure of a museum in the middle of Downsview Park. They had to leave because that's exactly where the Crown Corporation wanted to uh, build a hockey arena. They were going to tear down this historic old de Havilland Aircraft Assembly Plant where the museum is, and on that very footprint, put a hockey arena. But the irony is, you go there, and you look around, there there are 500 acres of property there. If they have so much land, why don't they just put the hockey arena Again, somewhere else? Uh, exactly, because the location, if anybody who goes there, it's 65 Carl Hall Road. You drive up this winding road from the the main entrance, and you look around and you say, what's key about that particular spot? You know what it is, I think? Uh, it's a way to get rid of the museum. Oh, we need the land uh, because the, the museum earlier had had uh, some problems uh, paying the rent, but then raised the money and was ready to pay the rent, and they wouldn't take the check. They said, nope, you're out. You're out. We're giving you until the end of March. We're locking you out today, and anytime you want to go into the museum to uh, even look around or pack up your stuff, come to us and we'll give you the key. This museum is home to the only full-scale replica of the Avro Arrow. It It is really historic. What's the reaction to this decision been? Well, of course, as with any museum, hundreds and hundreds of people volunteer to be involved in restoration work and in the construction of the Avro uh, Arrow. They're absolutely heartbroken. All of their work will be for nothing. The museum people themselves are looking at this. I don't know if you know how big an Avro Arrow was. 30 feet wide. Uh, not even counting wind, wingtip to wingtip. They're huge aircraft. They don't know how they're going to get it out of the building. They don't know if they have to saw it apart. They don't know if it'll be able to survive. And government money had gone into financing the construction of this absolutely beautiful, true-to-life 
model of the Avro Arrow. But it isn't just that. It's all the old historical assets in there, from chipmunks to uh, moths to uh, the uh, Lancaster bomber, now sitting in three pieces, being lovingly restored by a pilot who used to fly one during the Second World War. The place just reeks of history, and all of this is going to be absolutely torn down. We're hoping now, trying to appeal directly to the prime minister himself, who has shown in the past, you know, a real a love of the military, a love of military history. He put the royal back into Royal Canadian Air Force. Absolutely. Thinking that he might, uh, if he really knew about it, all he would have to do is pick up the phone, make one call, and it would be over. Are you hoping for, you know, a, a last-minute well, <laughs> reprieve? In all the things we get involved in, Libby, I mean, sometimes when they look the most hopeless is when something happens and, it, and, and something breaks, and no one's more surprised than me that it happens. We just work hard. We keep our heads down on these things. We say, write, send an email to the PM, pm at pm.gc.ca, by the way. Okay. And, and, and at least they'll be counting the emails, keeping as much pressure on as we can, till the very end. Okay. I'm looking at a letter that has already been composed because mm -hmm. some people might not want to take all the time mm -hmm. to compose a letter. So let's say, why don't we post this on zoomeradio.ca? We'll post this letter sure, where you can, you can download yeah. the letter and, and affix your signature and send it in. Or, or they can use the letter uh, as a suggested template. The exactly. letter was written by the people at the CASM, at the Canadian Air and Space Museum, and they know all the details better than anyone. So use it, use a version of it, get the message out. Okay. Dale Goldhawk, thank you so much, and good luck with the campaign. Thank you very much. For a link to that pre-written letter and to the museum's website, go to www.zoomerradio.ca. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Take the last Many Zoomers were shocked when Davy Jones, the frontman for the Monkees, died from a heart attack earlier this week. He was only 66 years old. In just a moment, we'll remember Davy Jones with a look back at his impressive career and one of the hit songs he sang for the Monkees. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Davy Jones was only 66 years old when he passed away from a heart attack earlier this week. As the frontman for the Monkees, he was a teenage heartthrob and probably the first crush for many of us baby boomers. Jones got his start as an actor when he was just 11 years old. His first role was on the famous British soap opera Coronation Street. A few years later, he got his big musical break when he was chosen for the role of the Artful Dodger in the original West End production of Oliver. He then went on to perform the same role on Broadway, which earned him a Tony Award nomination. Finally, in 1966, he was cast as the frontman of the Monkees, a fictional band created for television that quickly became real with number one albums and sold out tours of its own. One of their first hit songs was I'm a Believer. It reached the number one spot on the Billboard charts at the end of 1966 and became the best-selling record of 1967. Only true in fairy tales And for someone else But not for me 
Monkeys smash hit, I'm a Believer. We played it in memory of the lead singer, Davy Jones, who sadly passed away at the age of 66 this week. That brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you'll be back next Sunday at noon when Jan Arden will be my guest. She'll talk about turning 50 and why she took it all off for that very revealing cover and centerfold spread in Zoomer magazine. See you then. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.